Hi guys and welcome to this week's episode of The Hedge. My name is Jason Mountford and this week I'm bringing to you another guest, Catherine Morgan. And Catherine Morgan is a financial planner, she's a financial coach, she does a lot of work around the mindset of money and where our thoughts and opinions, feelings and beliefs and kind of the baggage, where all the baggage around money that we have, where it comes from and how to deal with it. So basically how to understand where it's not serving us, where it's not getting us to where we want to be, not, not helping us work towards the life we want to live and ways that we can change that, ways that we can deal with that past, deal with our thoughts, deal with our feelings and make sure that we're not just looking at the, the pounds and pence, the dollars and cents and you know tax wrappers and investment products and all that sort of stuff, understanding where our feelings come from and where our attitudes come from and then looking at the actual nuts and bolts of it. And I think this is a really important part of money and it's something that I've started talking a little bit more with uh, with my guests, or, you know, not just about investing um, and the specifics of where we put our money and, and how to avoid risk and how to diversify, but also broad, more broadly, you know, why are we doing that? You know, what are the barriers in our way? What are the things that we need to make sure we're changing or focusing on to make sure we're living the life we want to live? Because like I always say, that is that is the point of all this. That is the point of investing our money. Um, and delving a bit deeper into our our past and in our history and our, our learned behaviors, I think is, is a really important part of that. Now, Catherine is one of the best people to, to have this conversation with. She's won so many awards. This year, she won the Financial Wellbeing Champion of the Year from Money Marketing. She's won Innovation Awards with Next Gen Planners. She's won National Awards for, for Women in Business. She's she's a published author now. The book's about to come out. So she's a really good person to have a talk to about some of the deeper um, deeper, deeper questions around money. I really enjoyed this conversation with Catherine. There's a lot of really valuable information in here uh, around the way we approach our thoughts behind money. I think if you're somebody who's looking to try and improve your financial situation, looking to start living the life you want to live, working towards that ideal life that you've got in your mind, I think this is a really great place to start. So I hope you really enjoy this episode with Catherine. And if you want to check out any of her other content, then as always, all of those details are in the show notes. Hi guys, my name is Jason Mountford and this is The Hedge. And today I'm bringing you another really interesting guest, someone I'm really excited to have a chat with. And she goes by the name of Catherine Morgan. Now, Catherine Morgan is a financial planner. She's a financial coach. She's won multiple awards, as you would have heard in the in the intro before we jumped on and uh, hit record. Um, and today I've got Catherine on to talk about some of the deeper issues around money. So obviously we talk a lot about investing and budgeting and cash flow and all the kind of nuts and bolts around what we actually do with our money and the practical steps. But what we don't, what I don't really talk about is the the attitudes and the motivations that sit behind that. And that's where Catherine really, really shines. So Catherine, it's, it's really great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Jason. From one podcaster to another, it's great just to um, to come on another personal finance podcast and talk all things about around money. So thank you so much for having me here today. Yeah, not a problem at all. So like I say, you know, we we can tend to, I think, focus on when we when we're thinking about money. We can tend to focus on the wrong things, and you know, from my perspective, that's often how do I get the most return? Um, you know, what's the most tax effective way? And the way the thing that or the angle that I often come at it with is that stuff doesn't matter. Um, unless you understand what you're doing it for. You know, what are you investing for? Why do you want to save tax? Um, and really for me, that's the way I always look at it is you need to understand what your objectives are and, you know, what are you trying to achieve? That's not a very, you know, 
revolutionary thing. Any good financial planner will have the same attitude. But one thing that I think is a, a definitely a lot less talked about is is that money mindset. So obviously, we're going to talk a lot about that today. But do you want to start by giving us a, a bit of an overview of, of what that actually means and the kind of kind of work you do with your content and with your clients? Yeah, thank you. It's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because when you were talking there, Jason, about like, sometimes we focus on the wrong thing. I think what's really interesting about personal finance is that, you know, most of us didn't get any financial education of any description growing up around money. So most of the beliefs that we carry, which ultimately lead to how we behave, the actions or the inactions around money are based on a, we're almost kind of like, guessing our way through things like Mm. what do I need to focus on first like how do I do this because no one ever teaches us this stuff but what's really interesting for me is a lot of people think that financial education is the gap Mm -hmm. that because we just don't know how to do things that's what stops us from living the most exceptional life that we can live and I'm a big believer in that's definitely part of it that's definitely part of the problem But I also believe that another part of the problem is what I see around the beliefs and the behaviors and the mindset that we carry around money. So when we talk about money mindset, we're really just talking about what is the meaning that we attach to money? Mm -hmm. What is the meaning that we attach to money? Because when we can understand and bring some curiosity to how our beliefs around money have actually been formed, it literally unlocks all of these little doors in our minds in our brain about how we're actually limiting ourselves by the language that we use with ourselves the things that we say about ourselves around money um the also we're limited by other people's expectations you know we try and keep up with the joneses or we compare ourselves to everybody else and what's really interesting for me is that over the years even as a you know as a qualified financial advisor for over 20 years it wasn't necessarily knowing about money that helped me I knew everything there was to know about money but yet Mm -hmm. I continued to live in cycles of debt in my 20s which I know logically wasn't Mm. the right thing and I knew the financial education I knew how to budget I knew how to invest but I wasn't following that information because of my money mindset and the way that I felt around money yeah yeah definitely I mean I think there's so many examples when you when you actually start thinking about this and I've found this from from um, you know watching and listening to your content is that when you do start thinking about it there's so many examples that come up you know one one that we hear all the time is you mentioned well you mentioned one there the keeping up with the Joneses thing you know that is very much a mindset thing that that creates that there's also the other one that's always the um, you know the lottery winners who you know they win lottery and then five years later they've spent it or they've blown it because they've they just don't have the tools to be able to understand what how they operate with that much money yeah I think sometimes it's it almost goes further than the tools as well mm. like it's not it's not always that they don't just have the tools is that they just don't have the capability to really sit back and think about a what do they want this money to do for them but also they might be quite clear on okay i'm going to use this money to you know to do all the nice things in life to pay my mortgage off but what limits us is our response to money based on the psychological reasons why we Mm self-sabotage so one of the biggest ones that i see is what we call fawning so in psychology we, we're often quite familiar with things like the, the fight, flight or freeze response. So this is how the brain kind of reacts to specific events where 
we kind of we want to be protected away from pain and so our brain goes into freeze where we quite frankly don't want to even look at money or open our bank statements Mm -hmm. or flight or fight where flight is we just run away and we pass on responsibility to others and fight is where you know we kind of get quite aggressive or angry or emotional around money and it's not actually the money that's emotional right like it's the meaning that we're attaching to money that creates that sense of emotion so what's really interesting for me is it's not just about the tools for like lottery winners for example this is actually about recognizing how can we get into a state of tolerance where we can feel good about money and do good with money so it's almost like a two-step process we have to feel good to do good and we can't do good unless we feel good and the reason we don't feel good is often because we've grown up with inherited beliefs around money that money doesn't grow on trees you have Mm -hmm. to work hard for money rich people are greedy like don't you know like the phrase i used to hear when i was growing up was um, like don't touch that coin it's dirty like money was dirty or money was secret like my dad used to hoard money in um, this pot in the back of his wardrobe and he'd empty his pockets when he came home from work and all the pound coins would go into this jar and all the the rest of the coppers would go into a separate jar and but then it was pushed to the back of his wardrobe you know like and that so that meaning that I attached to money at that particular age based on that one experience was money has to be kept secret yeah and all of these beliefs that we start to uncover around that key imprinting period which is between the age of birth and seven years old all of those beliefs and experiences form our blueprint around money and then that goes on to infer how we behave Mm. so if people win loads of money and then they just lose it it can be for so many different reasons you know it could be that they don't feel deserving to have it in the first place because money is greedy and so they'll just get rid of it as quickly as possible it might be that they feel the need to people please and they'll just give it away to everybody else and then forget about their own needs. You know, so there's lots of different psychological reasons why we make certain decisions around money. Um, but it always goes back for me that it's about the financial education plus awareness around your beliefs and meaning that you carry around money. Mm. I mean, that must be that must be. I mean, obviously, you'd be getting well used to it now but it must be quite difficult to delve into that with people because you know I know from just my own from my own life you know a lot of those things that we learn when we're that young that are such a part of our personality a personality and who we are whether it's money or whether it's food or you know anything really relationships it almost makes you feel physically ill like trying to actually delve into those things and or me anyway and you know analyze them and understand where those patterns lie you I regulated financial advisor, a financial coach as well, which kind of, from what I understand, delves more into that side of things. How do you how do you start to approach this with a client who maybe hasn't ever done any kind of internal work like this, hasn't done any introspection that would lead them to the kind of places you need to get them to? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we so we train financial professionals to integrate financial coaching into their work, which essentially is looking at this. At this work looking at the relationship that clients have around money and one of the first steps in our methodology to bring some curiosity to a client's relationship with money is step number one which is all about awareness mm-hmm. now this kind of comes in two guises so lots of people listening to this will be quite kind of logical and linear in their thinking they'll yeah. be kind of quite left brain dominant 
And so those kind of clients work really effectively with actually starting to look at some of the practicalities around money. And then we have a whole bunch of us that are very right brain dominant. So this is where, you know, we can be much more intuitive, creative, uh, less kind of logical and more illogical. Mm -hmm. And so in this awareness stage, there's two parts to this. One is what we call getting financially naked. So this is really getting quite fun with money so that if you were to imagine you're in a relationship with money, how would you be treating money right now? Like, let's really get, let's bear everything. Let's strip everything back to understand, well, what purpose are we giving to every pound that's coming into our account? Mm -hmm. Because actually the purpose that you're giving is based on your values, what matters to you, what your life goals are, all the things that you want to do in your life, not everybody else's <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. because we do have a tendency don't we to just look at all the rich people or successful people and just try and copy them yeah definitely uh, it's that whole kind of comparisonitis and it doesn't actually serve us at all by doing that so part of it is about well let's just strip everything back to basics and have a look at well how are we managing money that's right for me you know if i'm a natural planner around money then maybe I might find it difficult to spend money on myself mm -hmm. or to be quite spontaneous with money. Conversely, if I'm very spontaneous with money, then actually the challenge for me is probably going to be about putting plans in place. So maybe I want to focus on that side of money. Um, and then once we've kind of gone through the practical side of how we manage money, depending on our relationship with money, we can then kind of go into just bringing some awareness to our money stories and the best question I always ask for most people at the, when I first start working with them is, you know, if you were to, to, to describe an earliest memory that you have around money, mm -hmm. like what would that look like or what would that sound like? What would that feel like? And most of us can remember something like whether it's visiting the sweet shop with your pocket money or mm -hmm. your grandparents giving you some pocket money. And we get them to, to put together a borrowed belief timeline. So we literally, we give them a template for this. We give them a template of, let's go right back to maybe when you were a teenager, you know, your first job, for example. And mm -hmm. we'll write down some key events that happened. Um, and then we'll write down the meaning that they attach to money, given that experience. Mm -hmm. And then we'll ask them to go back to an earlier memory and then an earlier memory and then an earlier memory. Um, and it's quite interesting how when you start, you're like, I can't remember hardly anything about money. And then when you start, like a few months later or weeks later or even days later, suddenly all these other memories pop up. Like I had one quite recently where I remember my um, my grandmother, I used to go and visit her in this caravan uh, where, where they lived on this park. And I remember when she used to give me pocket money. It wasn't really pocket money. It was just like treat money. Mm -hmm. She would give it to me and she would say, don't spend it all at once. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, gosh, what meaning would I have attached to money at that age? And I was about six. Yeah. And as an adult, I'm sitting here thinking, well, don't spend it all at once. You know, maybe hoard it. Don't, don't spend it. Mm -hmm. And so spending it might create a feeling of guilt or shame. Yeah. Um, so that was quite a new one that came up for me recently. And, and that's the best place to start is just by really gently exploring what was your kind of some of your early memories around money? What did you hear? What did your how did your parents deal with money? Maybe they didn't talk about it. Maybe 
they hid money away. Maybe you experienced bankruptcy in your family. Maybe mm -hmm. you lived in a high poverty scenario where money was limited. And then the second question to ask yourself once you've come up with that memory is, well, what meaning do you think that you attach to money based on that experience? Mm -hmm. And so is it about sort of getting to the point where, I mean, obviously you don't want everybody to, no, everyone's, everyone's going to end up in a different place going through this, aren't they? Because everyone's going to have different motivations and what they want their life to look like and that sort of thing. Is it just about kind of trying to identify um, which of those beliefs, which of those feelings, those imprints are serving you towards your end purpose and then basically trying to ditch the rest of them? Is that kind of the end point you want to get to? Yeah, so I think it's both. I think it's looking at what's serving you and what's sabotaging you. Mm -hmm. And if you imagine those two serving and sabotaging expressions on a coin, on one side you've got serving and the other side sabotaging. So how has that belief served you? Mm -hmm. And how has that belief sabotaged you? So, for example, one of my big, big beliefs around money was that if you don't spend it, somebody else will. Mm -hmm. That was one of my biggest core beliefs around money because I remember at the age of, Eight, I went into town with my mum and she was in super drugs <laughs> and I was in the bank next door and I went into the bank and handed over my little passbook to the cashier and I still remember the sound of the, the little ink like printer cartridge mm -hmm. and when she handed me my passbook back I looked down at my balance and it had gone from £3,000 to zero Okay, and I'd seen this big withdrawal and I just remember thinking where's all my money gone and I didn't ask my mum because I felt like some kind of shame like mm -hmm. oh my god I haven't taken care of my money like what's wrong with me like I'm terrible at looking after my money and so I didn't ask I didn't ask anybody like who's taken this money out of my account and that so the core belief for me was that well if you don't spend it somebody else will mm. and so when I started earning my own pocket money I just literally literally get rid of it as quickly as possible because I didn't feel deserving yeah. to keep hold of that money. And I think that will resonate with a lot of your listeners today where we mm. somehow connect our sense of self with money. So we believe that the more money we have, the better we'll be or the happier we will be if we just have more money. Yeah. And actually there's a whole bunch of research that shows that once you earn over like $75,000, you're no happier than you were earning less than that. But mm. yet we are constantly striving for more, more money, bigger houses, more cars, more technology, like more clothes, yeah. more food, more, you know, whatever your vice is. We're always on this constant um, wheel, really, of wanting more and more and more. And what I found working with a lot of clients is that sometimes it's actually more about what we want less of in our lives, less stress less time with certain people, less time in the business because we want to have time out to yeah. go and have holidays with our families. You know, it's it's often about looking at what, how can we use money to fulfill a need of less of something rather than more of something, kind of law of subtraction rather than law of attraction, if you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we've all We've all experienced that at different times, haven't we? Like we get a new car or a new iPhone or something that we like pine over for months or years or whatever and you get it and you get that initial rush of like, oh, this is amazing. I finally got this thing that I want. And then very, very quickly, it's just it's just your car or it's just your phone and it's just normal and you you pay zero mind to it. And I think you can easily, 
you can easily continue that hamster wheel throughout your life if you don't if you don't try and take a step back and and think about it a bit more consciously yeah consciousness is um is a interesting one because for a lot of us we're not conscious with money we just make decisions very quickly um thoughtlessly sometimes um and i and i talk you know i i, sh- I say that with an element of love because I had no consciousness around how I spent my money in my 20s at all. Because for me, having consciousness around money felt bad. Like I didn't want to look at what I was spending because Mm. there was so much guilt and shame attached to that. Mm. So, but consciousness in itself, if we can consciously plan with intention without too many high expectations on ourselves of things having to be perfect around money, I think that's actually a really important part of the journey. Hi guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode. I just wanted to jump in really quickly to let you know about my free weekly newsletter, also called The Hedge. Every week I comb through all the social feeds and news websites to cut through the noise and bring you the latest news and ideas in investing, business, entrepreneurship, and personal development. As with all content from The Hedge, the aim is to help you grow your wealth in a way that allows you to be your real, authentic self. If you'd like to sign up, you can find the link as well as the links to all our other content at thehedge.io. Yeah. So one of the things that I always try and do on on the podcast is when I get people like yourself on, people who are experts in particular areas, is is get some really practical tips for for people. So I I had Andy Webb on a few weeks ago, who we both know, um, and, you know, he's all about finding the deals and, and saving money when you can and switching energy and all that sort of stuff. From from your perspective, we're talking about obviously broader, probably more you know in depth topics. But if someone was looking at their financial situation, not happy with how things were going at the moment, what would be the first place, or maybe the first one or two questions you would recommend people start asking themselves to try and get in the right headspace for getting better better off financially? Yeah, I think some of the ex- some of the questions I've already shared around you know, getting financially naked yeah. and looking at your money stories is a really good place to start. Because for me, if you can start around, well, let's first of all, just understand what is my relationship with money? Like, what am I, what's my natural go-to way of behaving around money? Um, and typically you'll fall into a couple of different categories. You'll be someone who's a high planner, like, so you'll plan everything. You've probably already got a budget in place already. You're probably already aware of what you're spending. Um, then the, actually your next step as a planner would be to think about, well, how can I use money to maybe be a bit more impulsive or a bit more carefree around money, mm-hmm. um, which kind of counter contradicts really the, you know, the benefits of being a high planner. <laughs> um for, for women in particular, I would say a lot of women I work with um, tend to be very overgiving in their relationship with money. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from just generational beliefs around how women should be and how men should be around money. Mm. And I think specifically for women, we're very good at managing the household purse, but we're not so good at making some of the bigger decisions around money. Mm-hmm. And often we use money to treat other people and we don't actually like to treat ourselves yeah. and that feels somewhat like guilty or shameful to spend money on our own needs and so for women specifically or people who resonate with this kind of overgiving relationship with money then one of the key tips i would give there would be to have a think about what your needs are like mm. literally sit down 
and write out a list of all your desires and not surface level desires, mm. like your deep underlying desires. So if your desire is holidays, more holidays, that's a surface level desire. Yeah. We need to like dig underneath that. What sits beyond yeah, the Why holidays. do you want more holidays? What's the, what's the core thing you want? Time with the family or more time away from work or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because if the core value underneath holidays is actually time, mm. well, then how can you use money to create more time? It's an entirely different question to how can I put money, more money in the savings account for my next holiday? Yeah, can you definitely. see the difference there? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's kind of that underlying, underlying desire. And, and anyone can do that exercise. This is something that we do around, you know, what are your financial values? What do you value underneath money? What's the emotion that you're looking to invoke, you know, to evoke off the back of that goal or that intention? Mm. And particularly for overgivers, that's a hard one because we often just look after everybody else before we do our own needs. Yeah. So that would be a tip I would give for anyone who's kind of overgiving. Um, then we have kind of a whole array of um, relationships with money around maybe being quite impulsive or spontaneous. So people tend to call themselves like I'm an emotional spender or I'm impulsive. Yeah. And we have to be quite curious to our own language that we use around money because if we call ourselves like emotional spenders um, or over overspenders, then our brain will just continue on that loop of, of like self-fulfillment. It will just yeah. look for more evidence to support these beliefs. Mm. So if you're in a position where you're thinking, well, I do overspend and I can't, I can't seem to ever get back into the red, like I'm all, like into the black, I'm always just money comes in, money goes out, there's nothing left. Then really that's about thinking about well, what are the emotional reasons why you're overspending? And for me, when I was in my 20s, for example, I would overspend every single month, every single month, earn loads of money in my 20s and spent all of it. And it was because I was trying to fulfill a need for essentially um, confidence in myself mm -hmm. and self-worth and I used money I gave a lot of my power away to money that oh well if I just buy this dress I'll feel happier and better mm. about myself and ultimately it took me a long time to really understand well what else could I do to make me feel worthy that didn't involve money mm -hmm. so it was very much about separating your you know, separate your sense of self away from money mm. So if you're, you know, if you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, I don't feel worthy of having money. I would think it's for everybody else and not for me. And that maybe that causes you to overspend. Then think about how can you be more worthy of yourself mm. rather than using money as a way to make you feel that instant dopamine hit that we get when we, you know, buy a new dress or mm. buy something on Amazon or yeah, yeah. open the fridge up and, you know, have a nice <laughs> bar of chocolate or whatever your vice is. Um so that's definitely something to focus on for those people who are quite impulsive around money. Mm. And then the final one is for people who are quite kind of status driven around money. This is particularly high, actually, in men more than women mm -hmm. uh, based on research, because as men, we often seek human connection um, quite differently to women often because, you know, for guys, it's still quite difficult to talk about how we feel sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so when we're status driven around money, it tends to create this air of um, keeping up with the Joneses or um, buying things to create a sense of feeling that more people will like me. 
mm-hmm. if I have these nice things. And that might be trainer brands, it might be cars, flash cars, it might be um, a status around your job title. Yeah. And, and you know, there's lots of different ways that that kind of comes out. But I think for people who are very status driven, when I've done some work, um, I, I do coach men too. And when I've coached men particularly, they come up very high status driven. And a lot of that comes down to, again, thinking really about what is that need that we're trying to fulfill by upgrading the car, getting the new mobile phone, getting the expensive trainers? Because actually, if underneath all of that, it is a desire to feel loved and to feel liked, it's almost like external validation. Mm, yeah. Like we're seeking external validation for us to feel better about ourselves. Like when you say it, it it's so illogical, isn't it? Yeah. Like that's crazy to think that somebody else can give me a feeling of how I feel about myself. Mm. But we do, we give away so much of our power again to external validation when actually if we were to spend more time on, well, how can we create that feeling for ourselves that doesn't involve money, that is more of an internal motivator, an intrinsic motivator, rather than extrinsic, where it's reliant on other people, which ultimately you just can't control. Mm. I mean, I think it's it's actually incredible once you start trying to think about that. It's actually incredible how difficult it can be to separate what is your true, genuine feeling about something and what are you just kind of reacting, providing a, a feeling that is a reaction because of what everybody else says about it or, you know, what you've what you've grown up and being told, you know, that that's the norm, that's how things are. I think for me, obviously, as, a, as an expat living in the UK, it's I think the, the mindset around money is even... Um, more of an issue is the wrong word, but it's even more in in focus because there is a very much um, the whole class divide and all this sort of thing. That the whole history of the UK is very much centred around people who had money or people who didn't have money. And even though those those divisions are much more muddled than they you know they were three hundred years ago. I think there's a lot of that, isn't there, is that people are brought up living in a certain area, you know, you will have the, the area often will have kind of a connotation from a from a from a socioeconomic or a financial standpoint. And I find that really interesting, you know, speaking speaking to clients who've come from all these different backgrounds and how they how that has impacted how they feel about money. Yeah, it's the whole topic, isn't it, of like consumerism um and and cultural influences on our relationship mm. with money. Um, I mean, British culture is an interesting one, isn't it? Because I know, 300 years ago, if you didn't have land or title, you had no worth in society. Yeah. And whilst we might think, well, that was 300 years ago, that has no impact on me today. It does, because though those beliefs at that time were acceptable and those beliefs were in our family generation. Mm. And if you think about how those generations have literally passed on beliefs through the generations. Like this is epigenetics. This is the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton, who talks about how epigenetics carries beliefs through our DNA. Right. And that's really interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because if you think about, like, let's take a more recent generation, like my grandparents, my my mum's mum, who's still alive now at 96, bless her. Nice. You know, she... She grew up through the war and everything was about not enoughness, scarcity, rationing, mm. you know, and, and, and hoarding and being frugal with money. Yeah. And, you know, they didn't buy new things. They just repaired what, what they needed to repair. 
And when I think about how that passed on to my mum, then that belief passed through to me. There's definitely a clear line through that generation of, you know, it feeling somewhat like, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost selfish to spend money that may be considered to be excess. Mm -hmm. Like I've just booked a 10K holiday for next year. And even when I was paying for it, I was like, God, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And it is a lot of money. Yeah. But then I think, well, how much am I making in my business in reality to that is is okay. Mm. But there's still that feeling of, oh, that's so and people even listening to this will be like, oh my God, that's so much money. Like that's <laughs> that's so that's terrible, Catherine. You shouldn't spend that much money on a holiday, right? We get all of these beliefs that come out be, because of our own perceptions on the value of money. Mm. So it, it's so interesting when you look at the cultural influences the inherited influences, religion is another big one, mm. religious influences, you know, what does the Bible teach us about money, you know, whatever religion you grew up around, you know, an eye for an eye, look after everybody else before yourself, yeah. you know, there's all of these messages that have a massive impact on how we feel about money. So what about if you've got a couple one of them is like, let's get financially naked, like let's get it off. And the other one is like, nah, this dressing gown <laughs> is not going anywhere. How how do you approach that? <laughs> I love that. No one's ever asked me that question. That's brilliant. Um, okay, so there's a couple of things there. One is, you know, it has to be, the timing has to be right to get financially naked. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about having like money dates, you know, having a money date with yourself, have a money date with your partner. That could be your business partner, your your at home partner. You know, it, timing is really important. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just not the right time to have that conversation yeah. with the two of you around money. And that's OK. Like sometimes starting with your own relationship with money as an individual by yourself is a great thing to do. And then actually, if you do it individually, when it feels right to do that, then you can come together at a later date and explore what that looks like for you together in a relationship. But often we do know that there's a lot of conflict um, in relationships around money. We mm -hmm. know that it's the biggest cause of divorce, certainly in this country. So how we can harbour more positive conversations at home is to really think about, and this is something actually it's in my book, uh, we've created this strong methodology and that whole methodology, which I won't talk you through every single step right now, but yeah, you, the, want, you the, want some people the, to go buy the book, don't you? <laughs> want some, yeah. Don't give it don't all away. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in, you know, in that model, we talk about timing is really important and using collaborative language because often we think that one person, like we're right, like the fact that I want to spend ten k on a holiday and my husband doesn't, like that makes me right and him wrong. Yeah, but that's not the case. It's just that. <laughs> his relationship with money is very different to mine. And so actually understanding how each of you are around money as individuals and just harboring some really fun conversations around money. Like there's a great quiz that you can do. Um, it, it's not one of ours, actually. It's by a company um, and it's called The Five Love Languages. Mm -hmm. have, have you done it, Jason? I've heard of the book. I haven't actually done the quiz, but I have heard of the, like, the book before, yeah. Oh, you have to go like, go and do it. Like okay. even press pause on this podcast and go and do it. Like it's so good because it, it actually helps you to understand as individuals in a relationship, how do you value money? Mm -hmm. And there's like, there's five different love languages and I'll probably forget one of them, but there's like words of affirmation, physical gifts, physical touch, uh, acts of service. And then the one that I always forget, I told you I'd forget one. <laughs> 
But my husband, for example, his top love languages were words of affirmation and physical touch. Mm -hmm. So I basically just have to rub his arm and go, that was so amazing, that dinner you just cooked tonight, darling. And he's like, oh, thanks so much. Like he'll feel super valued. Whereas for me, my top affirmations are acts of service and gifts, actually. So if someone sends me a gift or they um they'll do something for me that involves time i feel really valued because it mm-hmm. kind of shows me that people are like just thinking about me yeah and i feel loved so that's quite a good fun way of just opening up that conversation about well how do you value money as individuals and then you can come together very collaboratively to just communicate your needs and boundaries as an individual before you then come together and say, okay, so my needs are important because this is what I need and these are my boundaries. This Mm. is what makes me feel safe and unsafe. How about you? Like, what are your needs? What are your boundaries? And then you kind of collaboratively, collaboratively come up with a, a kind of neutral agreement with how you're gonna use money that serves both of your needs and doesn't overstep boundaries mm. to recognize that there's no right or wrong. You're yeah. not right. He's wrong and vice versa. It's just that you'll have different needs, different experiences, different beliefs around money. And if we come at it from a very collaborative way, we can actually harbor much more, you know, more healthy conversations at home when it mm. comes to money. It's like a blueprint, isn't it? For just removing the things removing the need to put energy in things that aren't worthwhile. I talk about this when I talk about budgeting and I actually hate budgeting, but I know for some people it works better to do things that way. And I always say about budgeting is that it's not about creating a framework that means you have to cut out the things in your life that you want to do. It's about identifying where there is money or energy or whatever, but you know, in this case, money going somewhere where is not providing you that value. And actually, that's, you know, that's quite similar with this sort of thing, isn't it? It's like, why waste, you know, if you wasted your time constantly buying gifts for your husband and he was like, oh, thanks for that, but it's not my love language. I'm not that bothered. You feel yeah. you feel bad because you're like, oh, hold on. He doesn't seem that that keen about the fact that I've put all this effort into it. He's not getting, you, there's just that disconnect, isn't there? So it's all just, it really all comes down to from from what I'm learning is you just have to be very honest with yourself about identifying what, are your values, what is important to you, and then making sure you're, you're focusing your energy on that. It seems pretty straightforward, but it's just it's like many things. It's, it's very simple and very hard at the same time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, 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 you know, it is hard to have these conversations sometimes. Um, but believe me, the fear is always worse than the actual doing. Like the, uh, the acronym for fear is just it's a future event appearing real. It's something that hasn't even happened. We just have this belief that is going to be super hard. And maybe the first time we do it, it is. But then the second time it's easier and the third time it's even easier. And the fourth time it just becomes like habitual, something we don't even really think about. So, you know, me and my husband have money dates once a quarter now, sometimes once every six months, because we just naturally just talk about our own boundaries and values without even really being obvious that we're doing that. Because we've just done it for so long now, it just becomes habitual. So yeah, go easy on yourself is what I would say. Like it, it sometimes can be a hard conversation to open up, 
Um, but it's one of the best conversations you'll have because the relationship we have with money is probably the longest relationship that we'll have with anything mm. in our life. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned the book there. I'd like to talk about that a little bit. You know, it's coming out, is it uh, early next month, early December? Is that right? Yeah. So I turned 40 on the 9th of December. So um, I'm kind of forgetting that fact yep. and just focusing <laughs> on uh, becoming a, a, an author. So, yes, uh, we publish our book on Amazon. Um, it's not about the money uh, on the 9th of I December. I love that title. That's awesome because that's, that's what all this is about. That's what financial planning really at its heart is what it's about, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to tell us a bit about what, um, I mean, we can, probably, we can probably guess at it a bit from, from the title <laughs> and what you've, we've talked a little bit about there, but do you want to give us a bit more info about what's in the book, you know, what people are going to get out of it? Yeah, thank you. So um, depending on when you're listening to this, like if you're listening to this before the 9th of December, uh, you can just head over to katherinemorgan.com forward slash book and then we'll drop you an email when it's released. You'll get first access to that. Um, if you're listening to this post 9th of December, then just head over to our website and you can grab a, co- a free copy actually of our book. You just pay for postage. Um, and the parts of the book that we, the way we've broken it down is into three distinct stages. So we have stage one, which is all about deserving wealth. Stage two is all about holding on to more money. So that's about creating money. And then stage three is all about growing money. Um, but we don't come at it from a, how do you invest money? What stock market investment do I use? What insurance products do I use? This is very much a personal finance book written through the lens of trauma. Mm -hmm. So it's very much centered on the mindset side of how we can be better with money, feel better about money and get better with money. But, and, and there is some practical stuff in there too, but it's very much about deserving to have money, then holding on to and growing more money um, and that for us is where, you know, if you can get through those three stages and they're not linear, you know, sometimes we'll feel deserving to have money and then something will happen in our life, which might be a trauma like divorce, grief, redundancy, COVID-19, for example, all of these mm. traumas that are happening, big traumas or little traumas that will throw us right back to wanting or needing to deserve more money again, which ultimately is down to self-worth. Mm. So it, it's not, it's never linear but we take you through some really deep exercises that you can do and some practical exercises all the way through the book. There's like, there's about 30 different practical exercises and you can download those from the website as well and print those off Um, and just work your way through those three stages towards financial independence. And, And for us, this is super important, particularly for women because we become quite codependent on our partners around money. Historically, we have been very codependent and this is really about creating independence, not codependence around money. I love that. I like the idea of having practical steps as well, because quite often you can you can read a book and you feel really jazzed up about it and think, oh, it's great. And then you think, but what do I actually do now sort of thing? So I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a core part of our content that we've created over the years is about, you know, it's about the money mindset side. But then what's the actual practical thing that I need to go and do here? Right. So yeah, it's combining those two things. Awesome. I look forward to uh, grabbing a copy. I need to sign up for that that uh, pre-sale list. So, <laughs> Thank you. So um, you've obviously been creating financial content for a long time. You've got your podcast, In Her Financial Shoes. You do a lot on Instagram. Um, you know, got your own website, obviously, lots lots of content. Something that I'm really, you know, interested in at the moment, talking with people like yourself, is, you know, over, especially over the last kind of 18 months, I would say, 
I'm an example of this. There's been an explosion of new people out there creating investing content, creating personal finance content, creating crypto content. Um, I'd be really keen to get kind of your take on on the finance content space at the moment, because obviously, you know, you are you and I are regulated financial advisors, so we have to come at it from a from a certain angle. But there's obviously a lot of people out there who don't necessarily have much experience or education in 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 this space. What's kind of your take on on the the state of the nation in terms of you know personal finance and investing content? Um, so. Do you mean, Jason, in regards to the people creating the content or the people receiving it? I think, I think both. I guess you know to, to give you kind of my spin on it is that I think that at the moment we are seeing a lot of advice out there that's not necessarily um, not necessarily good advice, um, and we can fall into the trap of of kind of just pretending it's not there. But I think that, that people that have the, the right message, the more nuanced message about money, I think it's important that people like you and me create as much content as possible in a way to try and create an alternative for, for some of this more negative stuff out there. So I guess it's more just around, you know, do you think there's anything that, there's any regulation that should be happening? Have you got any kind of particular advice you would have for people looking for content online? Kind of just your general thoughts on it really. Yeah, the, the reason I ask that question is I think that um, you're absolutely right. There is a danger, I think, of consumers not really knowing who to trust, what information to trust. Is mm. it is that the right thing for me to do or not? Or And so I'd always say whoever you follow advice from, make sure that you've done some due diligence to make sure that they are... Um, not necessarily qualified like there's some people that have been through some incredible personal journeys themselves yeah. who have never been a qualified financial advisor or who don't have any qualifications when it comes to money but have so much value to give yeah. you know money bloggers for example they're not necessarily qualified advisors but they've got some amazing content that they generate through their blogs and yeah. and their websites around helping people around money but I would always just do a little bit of kind of due diligence. And before you do anything that is going to have a significant impact on your financial situation is, you know, whether that's going down a particular product, like investing, for example, or taking out a protection product or, um, you know, some debt consolidation or something like that is just be curious to who are you placing your money with? You know, make sure that they're regulated firms, for example, make sure that the apps that you're using have got, um, you know, scroll to the bottom of their websites and double check that they're regulated by the FCA, uh, the Financial Conduct Authority, because then they're a regulated business. There's going to be a lot of protection there for you as a consumer. So, so I think there's some definitely some things there to just be mindful really of who you're taking that advice from. But also from a... I guess from the other side, do I think it needs to be regulated at a regulated professional industry? No, because regulation has so many limitations. We think that regulation is a good thing. It's not always a good thing. Mm. Um, it has its space and its place. But for the majority of people, they I don't believe that they need to go and see a regulated financial advisor. For the majority of people, unless you're looking at complicated financial affairs or to unpick something that has been set up incorrectly because of bad advice, then I think for most people, they can navigate their own way through their own personal finance journey. Yeah. So I would just be super curious to who you're following on social media, um, you know, make sure they're, you know, okay, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. 
Um, maybe they've been recommended to you from somebody else's experience. Um, if you're going to invest money b before anything goes out of your account physically, just make sure the company you're investing with is regulated because uh, that's where people get caught out. I think, you know, things like cryptocurrency or unregulated products that they don't really understand and they just guaranteed, you know, oh, three times your yeah. income, In three times your yeah. 10K if you give me 10K. You know, it's unlikely to be like a good deal if there's some red flags there like that. So, yeah, just be super curious to who you're following and where you're getting that advice. Yeah. So I want to finish off on something that's maybe a little bit left field. It's not specifically finance, if that's okay. But, you know, you've, sure. you've recently moved to Jersey. Um, and I'm always really interested in, you know, when people make kind of big life changes like that. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind just giving me a bit, a, a bit of a, a walkthrough, kind of what, what made you decide to, to make that change and, and how you're finding it? Oh, thank you. Um, so, yeah, so we moved over to Jersey, which is a little island. It's not Jersey, US, by the way. People are like, oh, like New right. Jersey. <laughs> like, no, no, no. <laughs> this is like Jersey. It's an island nine by five miles long <laughs> in the Channel Islands, which is sandwiched just between the north coast of France and the UK. Um, we used to live here actually many years ago. Back in 2008, we moved over here. Um, I was working for HSBC over here. I was looking after a, a team of financial advisors. And we got married over here. I had my first son over here. And we were here for four years before moving back to the UK. And when the 1st of January this year came up, we always go on a family walk on the 1st of January. It's mm -hmm. like part of our family ritual. Yeah. And we were out walking with our... Uh, no, we were just about to get our new puppy. That was right. We were like two weeks away from getting our new puppy. And we were just talking about like what really matters in life. You know, we just have those conversations yeah. like, what do yeah, we yeah. want? Like, how's work going? How's the business going? How are the kids? And we just kind of sat back and thought, what really matters in life right now is connection, space, time, all of the things that we just crave more of. And so my husband and I decided that actually to try and get back to living in Jersey would be really a really great decision for us as a family because... We're right by the sea. The lifestyle's amazing over here. The schools are incredible for the children. It's extremely safe island to live on. Like you can literally leave your door open at night and no one would like no one would come in. <laughs> it's, you know, the front page of the news in Jersey is like cat stuck up tree. You know, it's like <laughs> it's that kind yeah. of level. And um and then literally like two weeks later, his, my husband's phone rings and someone that he used to know many, many years ago said, we're advertising for this job. Do you want to come for an interview? And he was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> he came over to me and said, I've got this job interview. I'm not really, really sure if it's the right job. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to bother going to the interview. I was like, you need to go, just go, like, do it anyway <laughs> yeah. and see what happens. And then literally he got offered the job with a license, which is um, Jersey's an interesting island to live. You have to have a certain license to work and live on the island mm -hmm. so this job came with a license okay. uh, which is quite hard to come by over in jersey and we just decided right we're gonna move we're gonna move back um and i mean it's a very expensive island to live on like housing is ridiculously expensive mm -hmm. but aside from that it just gave us everything else that we needed and we sat down and did our kind of pros and cons lists and you know, does it meet all of these needs that, mm -hmm. that we feel that we have? Um, we had some conversations with family about it. And we just thought, do you know what? You'll never regret a decision 
if you made the decision. Yeah. The only regrets we ever have are decisions that we didn't make. Yeah, definitely. And so we kind of thought, we don't know if this is the right thing, but we're going to try it anyway. And we can always come back if we don't like it. So that was the journey to coming back to Jersey. And it very much felt like we'd kind of like, like I hate to be too woo-woo, but it was the first woo-woo experience I've had of, it felt like we'd manifested this conversation. And then like two weeks later, this job comes up and then he gets the job. And then six months later, we've just moved entire countries. So Meant it to was be. a very surreal <laughs> moment. Awesome. Look, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think that's been really, really useful. It's been interesting for me. Um, I will put links to all of Catherine's content um, and, and the book um, website that was mentioned before in the show notes. But Catherine, do you want to just give us a, a brief overview of, obviously talked about the book, but where people can find your other content as well? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, uh, by the time you guys are listening to this, like my book is definitely a good, great place to go. So it's not about the money. Come and grab your free copy from our website um, or alternatively come and listen to our podcast um, in her financial shoes. Um, if you're on Instagram and Facebook, uh, just head over to like Catherine, just search Catherine Morgan money on Instagram. Um, we're pretty much on every single social media platform. But those would be my top three recommendations. Come and connect with us. Awesome. Thanks very much for coming on, Catherine. Thanks so much, Jason. Thanks for having me. So I hope you enjoyed that episode, guys. I had a, a really good time having that chat with Catherine. I think it's interesting to listen to her uh, talk about her stories and her um, experiences that she's had that have informed her choices around money. Because I know for me, it's not something that I've re- ever really given much thought to. But I think you know, I can definitely see the value in having a think back to some of those own of our own money stories and my own money stories and kind of trying to make the links between how I treat money, how I think about money now and, and some of those experiences growing up. And I think there's there's a lot there to get into and obviously that's going to be um, something that more people are into, some more than others, but I definitely think having that sort of bit of introspection is definitely worthwhile. So to finish off today's episode, I do just have a favor to ask. I know the people that listen all the way to the end and are still sticking around at this point tend to be those that like the content I'm putting out there. And the difference with podcasting compared to social media or YouTube and you know other different social platforms like that is that there's no algorithm for podcasting. You know, it's not like YouTube where you can get lucky and end up with YouTube pushing your video out to millions and millions of people. Podcasting is old school and I think that's that's why I really like it. You know, we don't have the metrics, the the like buttons, the dislike buttons, the comments. And I think that's a really good thing about podcasting, but it does make podcasts harder to grow. And so one big favor that I have from you guys is to send this podcast to somebody you think would find value in it. You know, word of mouth is the number one way that podcasts grow. And the more the podcast grows, the more guests I can get on, the more focus and time and energy I can put into it. So that would be a massive, massive help. If you could find your favorite episode, hit that little share button and flick it over in a WhatsApp message or something to somebody who you think would find it useful. I would be really, really appreciative of that. If you have any questions, if you have questions about this week's episode, if you have questions that you'd like me to answer in upcoming episodes, then please feel free to get in touch with me. The best way to do that is via email, which is team at thehedge.io, or you can just go to thehedge.io and there is a link to all the podcast episodes. There is a link to the newsletter sign up. There's a link to email me directly. And I promise you that if I get an email from you, you will get a response. I always try to answer any of the questions um, that you have, even if they don't necessarily end up on the podcast. So as always, guys, I really, really appreciate you tuning in every week and I look forward to speaking to you next week.